with you tonight about your convictions. What are your convictions and why do you have them? Another way to say this is, I want to talk with you tonight about why you do the things you do and why it's important that we embrace diversity amongst us as a body of believers. A conviction, if you want to write this down, a conviction is a strong persuasion or belief. A conviction is something that you hold in your soul that is the contributing reason for why you do what you do or decide what you decide. And as you're going to discover this evening, I hope, you're going to see that there is room in the body of Christ and in this church, the rock, for a variety of convictions on a variety of topics. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 14. Tonight, this is meant to be more instructional in nature than inspirational in nature. So I want you to just follow along with me in, in Romans 14.1. Accept Christians who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer who has a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who think it's all right to eat anything must not look down on those who won't. And those who won't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn God's servants? They are responsible to the Lord, so let Him tell them whether they are right or wrong. The Lord's power will help them do as they should. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others, <clears throat> they think every day is alike. Each person should have a personal conviction about this matter. Those who have a special day for worshiping the Lord are trying to honor Him. Those who eat all kinds of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who won't eat everything also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we are not our own masters when we live or when we die. While we live, we live to please the Lord. And when we die, we go to be with the Lord. So in life and in death, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, so He might be Lord of those who are alive and of those who have died. So why do you condemn another Christian? Why do you look down on another Christian? Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of Christ. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to the Lord. So don't condemn each other anymore. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not put an obstacle in another Christian's path. Now I'd like you to write down Proverbs 29:25, And it says, The fear of man is a snare, a trap. But those trusting in the Lord will have peace. The fear of man brings a snare. Now, I want you to write down 2 Corinthians 9, 6. And turn with me there for a moment. And then we're going to tie this all together. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Okay, there's a purpose for why we're going over all these verses here this evening. 
it's very, very important that you understand that at The Rock, <clears throat> neither Greg nor I are seeking to dictate to you in any way, shape, or form what your lifestyle decisions should or should not be. There are times that as leaders, Greg and I may speak to his topic that attacks the culture. And we seek to draw a line between that which is our culture and that which God might want us to do. For example, a few weeks ago, this was only for the group that was in here on the roll stuff, I was talking about the principle in Timothy where it talks about women dressing modestly and discreetly and it talks about them not worrying about braided hair or gold jewelry or all these other fancy things. And, and I commented, and Amy was in the room that night, I commented, that does not mean you can't have pink hair. Some Christians would read that and think, oh my gosh, that means you can't focus on hair. For example, I have a daughter who's going into cosmetology. She just had a bunch of extensions put in her hair and some of them are pink. That's really her business. Even as her father, it's not so much my business. I went with her to the hair police and we had an enjoyable time. Didn't we, Amy? Yes. And I'm thinking about what I might do to mine next. <laughs> not really. But, if any of you have ideas, submit them to email, and if I come up with some really good ones, I might try it. Okay? But, but sometimes what happens is when we share things, and when we're in a church like this, a lot of people might get the idea that, oh, well, it's Mark or Greg's way, or it's the devil's way. Let me give you another example. I've talked to you about, we've talked to you, both of us, about finances. And I've thrown out ideas about cars. And um, some of you may think out there, well, geez, you know, if Mark ever knew that I bought a new car, why well, just never tell him? It would be embarrassing. He'd just be convinced I was out of the will of God. Or um, some of you here like to ride motorcycles. Some of you here recently gave some of my children ride on those motorcycles. <laughs> I have a close friend, one of my closest life friends who's going through a Harley Davidson phase and he has the money to purchase one so he did it's hard to imagine this friend of mine who's an interior designer on a Harley Davidson but he is you know he's got the leathers he's got you know I don't know it's a boomer thing I guess I'm not sure I'm not going to get one and I just it's just not my thing I rode a motorcycle a few times a couple times I was almost killed my brother decided to give me a ride on his rebuilt Moto Guzzi that he rebuilt himself. And 130 miles an hour down the freeway, I began squeezing off his air in his midsection, screaming in his ear that if you don't stop, I will kill you. I will squeeze you to death. <laughs> you know, you want to jeopardize your life? Go ahead. But do not jeopardize mine. That's not your prerogative. And I have another brother who just rebuilt a Norton. My brothers, they kind of collect the motorcycles. So he brings it to my house. Celeste and Jeremy were really little at this time. And Jessica was not yet born. And so my brother Johnny goes, oh, Mark, he goes, he goes you got to come out and see this motorcycle and go for a ride. And I said, okay, I'll go for a ride because, I, you know, I've been on them before. So we go out, and I stand on the side while he kickstarts it. And I notice a little puddle under the uh, Norton. Just a little puddle. Smelled a little funny. Yeah, I said, I think this is gas. Ah, don't worry, just a little drip. He kicks, kicks, boom, a little drip, ignites. The next thing you know, in 
30 seconds, the entire motorcycle's in flames. <laughs> and it melts onto my driveway in this big black spot. I've had some strange experiences with motorcycles. When I was in fourth grade and going to the little Baptist church, there was one radical in our church who had Harley Davidson. He rode it to church. It was the big hog, the big fat thing. That's what they call him anyway, my understanding. So I decided, he wasn't looking, I decided to play the Lone Ranger on his motorcycle. Now, if you know what that means, you run, you put your hands in the middle, and you jump on, you know, to sit. And I was bump, 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 bump. So I run, I jump, I sit. I think they're about 2,000 pounds, but I'm not sure. All I know is, in my little body, I would, uh, no, no, I'm going to get caught. Boom, onto the ground it goes. I'm laying there, I pulled my leg out. Oh, God, I'm sweating bullets. I try to lift this motorcycle, get it back up so no one sees, you know. And I, but I couldn't do it. It took about three guys to get it up. So anyway, needless to say, I'm not the big fan of motorcycles. I had a couple of friends get killed on them. Maybe that's part of the reason. But when it comes to whether you own a motorcycle or not, really my, 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 my opinion is doesn't, doesn't matter where the hill of beans. It's not about what I think. It's about what you decide personally before God that you believe he wants you to do. See, now, it, you might even think, well, well, wait a minute, Mark, isn't there better uses for the money? We could all debate that, couldn't we? I mean, that's where this stuff comes down to. We go like, well, wait a minute, Mark. The world's dying. People are going to hell. I mean, missionaries need money. People need food. And why are you riding a $7,000 motorcycle? I don't know. That's a good question. Some buy motorcycles. Some buy all their clothes at Nordstrom's. I don't know. What I'm getting at, what I want to show you tonight, is that there are a whole lot of things in the Christian life that the Bible doesn't answer. But rather, it gives you and I principles that you and I, using our brain, guided by the Holy Spirit, at times with the aid of counsel, the onus of responsibility is on us, you, not me and Greg, you, to decide before the Lord, what should I do? I had a situation many, many years ago. Sad, it just still breaks my heart. I was sharing a message like this. Very similar to this one. So I was trying to use a very relevant... Uh, actually, this would have been 12 years ago. A very relevant um, illustration. And I knew this would really take the church. It would shock the church because the church does not expect the pastors to use birth control. See, especially a lot of people who are like raised Catholic, were raised Catholic. So I said, well, you know, for example... My wife recently had a tubal ligation, which means she had her tubes tied, which means we aren't having any more children. Now, the reason I'm sharing that as your pastor is because I just want you to understand there's freedom before the Lord to make those decisions on your own, if that's how God leads you. He may lead some of you to do that. He may not lead some of you to do that. I'm not telling anybody to go do it. I'm just telling you, that's one illustration that Kathy and I sought the Lord, and we didn't know a whole lot of other people that did that. Now, a bunch of the pastors have had vasectomies, not me, but bunch of them yeah. and uh, that's just what we decided to do is that the evergreen way the rock way no just what God led us to do well it was this, this woman in the church married woman and a nurse besides 
she decides to go out and have a tubal ligation because she, she, she interpreted Mark told us, go do it, it's a good thing to go do. And, you know, it, according to her, she called me up and I had to go there with Brent and she laid into me and Brent and, you know, how can you possibly be recommending this medical procedure you don't know anything about? It's ruined my life. It's turned me into a, you know what, and I just am going off my husband all the time and, and she's crying and sobbing and I'm, and I'm sitting there going, whoa, Lord, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I, I don't want to be a pastor anymore at all. I didn't tell anybody to go to a tubal ligation. And I'm being blamed for a simple little example that I gave because someone didn't take the personal responsibility to realize, wait a minute, this isn't Mark's decision. This isn't Brent's decision. This isn't anybody's decision but mine. That's correct. And you bear the responsibility for the decisions that you make. You decide to drop out of school, that's your business. I would advise you to try and get an education, but if you decide not to, that's your business. I'm not going to sit, Greg and I are not going to sit back in judgment and go, Oh, Oh, that's a sad case. You have to decide before God what is God leading you to do. But here's what happens. I'm going to tell you real honestly, here's what happens. There's a lot of people in Christianity, this has happened at Evergreen, it's going to happen at the Rock if it hasn't already, who instead of living to please God, are living to please Greg or I. Or, let me put it another way, they're afraid of what we might think. You don't have to be afraid of what we think. Now, we may share things with you strongly from the pulpit for a reason, because we believe God calls us to challenge the people of God to a different standard of living. Let me give you a few examples. Um, I have a close, well, he's not a close friend, but he's a person that I know who travels all over the world. He's kind of what we call a world Christian. And he deals with other churches. And uh, his father wrote a book kind of writing off American Christians. But this guy happens to come to our church. The son happened to come to our church. He does it now. He travels around the nation, the world, helping people with small groups in their church and other kinds of ministries. He recently told one of our pastors, he said, I've hardly found any church like Evergreen and The Rock in the United States. He said, the things that you have people doing are unbelievable. That you have this many adults in small groups. He said, this is not normal. This is not, the the only place I see this happening is in South America and Asia, but not in the United States. That you have people reading the Bible, that you have people involved in evangelism, that you have people... When he, when he found out 90 people moved from Evergreen to this church to help start it, and they were single, he was, al- he was almost speechless. He said, that's unthinkable. That's unheard of in Christianity America. He said, basically, I believe there are two things wrong with the church in America. Greg, you can help me if I forget. One of them was Americans worship their children... And number two, what was the other one? The only one I remember? Well, there was one other that made a deep impression on me, obviously. All I know, I think it was that uh, the second one was that pastors are unwilling to challenge their flocks to, uh, and, and, and to, to fight the culture. And he said, every time I get a chance to speak in any church, I always cover those two topics. He said, of course, I don't have to stay there and take the flack. You do. And he's right. Now, if this were a married church and there was a bunch of children here, I'd be the first one and so would Greg to stand up here and say, you need to be thinking through your schedule because if your life revolves around three little children and their soccer games and their hockey and their basketball, something needs to be reevaluated in your life. Well, we say that, I will say that with no shame. But for someone to walk out of here and say, Mark Darling said it's evil if your kid plays hockey, basketball, or soccer. That's a gross misinterpretation of what we're getting at. 
We must always be willing to step back and, and examine our life and examine our priorities and think through why am I doing what I'm doing? But it would be wrong for any person in this room to live in fear of what you think we might think. It is not Greg's convictions or my convictions that matter. Again, we're here to teach you the Word of God. In the Word of God, you have basically two things. You have commands, principles, and promises. Okay? You have commands like, um, don't be immoral. Okay? Don't be immoral. Does that mean that you can't kiss before you're married? No. Would I advise you to avoid that before you're married? Yes. Am I going to judge you and think you're a sinner if you are kissing before you marry? No. I'm just telling you that hormonally, you're going to have a problem. That's all. Greg and I have tried to be very honest with you about that. But you're an adult. You're not a child. You all here are adults. And you're going to have to decide, what am I going to do? We've tried to give you, in a sense, ideas, ways that you can avoid pitfalls. Um... Let's say, for example, you're dating this guy or gal or you're courting or whatever you want to call it and you're thinking about getting married and you have an apartment and you don't have any roommates. Would I advise you to spend a lot of time in that apartment alone? No. Oh, but Mark, we're going to pray and we're going to read our Bibles. Yeah. That's, you know, you might for a while. It might be a nice opening to the evening that turns in a direction you wished it hadn't. Can you pray other places? Sure you can. Can you read your Bible other places? Sure you can. Are you in sin if you're up on your couch watching a movie together alone in your apartment? No. Not if you're just watching a movie. See? But it gets real tough, doesn't it? How many of you know what I'm saying? I mean, it gets really tough, doesn't it? It gets really tough. So, Are we walking around, you know, with little magnifying glasses? Hey, what, what are you doing? What do you know? No. Do we have spies out all over church? No. <laughs> you know, from time to time we might hear things and we go, well, we should probably talk about this sometime. Sometimes the bottom line is, is we do not want to do the hard work of thinking and investigating. We just want someone to tell us what to do. I can't tell you how many times Greg and I have some, somebody sat down with us and said, just tell me what to do. I, I, no, 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 no. You know, we, well, we're going to work hard not to fall into that trap. We believe we're, we're to lead you. We're believe, we believe that we're to influence you. But that does not mean that you put your mind on the shelf and your preferences on the shelf. And we all become robots here in this church. We're here to cast vision. We're here to build you up in your faith. We're here for a common cause, and that cause is Jesus Christ. We're here because we love Jesus Christ. But it's very important that you are consumed with not what we're thinking, but what is God thinking. What is important is doing what you believe is right for you and lines up with scriptural commands or scriptural principles. What is important is that you do what you believe God is leading you to do 
and it lines up with scriptural commands and principles, let me go so far as to even say this. Some of you, God is going to lead you away from the rock. Not because the rock's bad, but because God may lead some of you to YWAM. God may lead some of you to Operation Mobilization. God may lead some of you to the Evangelical Church down on the corner. He may lead you to the Pentecostal, the Charismatic Church down the street. It's very important that you understand that Greg and I are not here to get in the way of God leading you. We're here to help the process. We're here to help the process. In no way, shape, or form, and I hope you've ever read the little rock booklet, but on the back of it, I wrote it. There are many wonderful churches in this city. Sometimes you have to understand that Greg and I, we read things that you don't read. Why? Well, because it's our business. Because, uh, for example, how many of you here grew up on a farm? How many of you read Farm Journal or Farm Statistics or you knew, uh, you know, about how big a hog should be before you take it to market? How many of you don't have any idea how big a hog should be before you take it to market? That's what I thought. You see, because it's not your business. Neither are church statistics your business, but I lie to you not when I say that the vast majority of church in America is not... Let me underline that. Is not serving the purposes of God. I am not in saying that statement, saying, but the rock is, and we're awesome, and we're incredible, and na 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 na. That's not what we're saying ever. George Barna, who collects these statistics, is writing them in his books. The statistics show that the vast majority of Christians are not living Christ-centered, bow-the-knee-to-the-lordship-of-Christ lives. That's just what the statistics say, because the Christians answered the questions honestly, and they failed the test. I'm not making that up. But that does not mean that there aren't dynamic and even better-than-the-rock churches that exist in this city, in states across this nation and the world. There are. There are far greater speakers than I will ever be. There are far more godly men, tens of thousands of them, than I will ever be. I'm just striving to be who God wants me to be and, and grow more, and I'm challenged by their lives. But I don't want any of you to ever misunderstand. Of course, Greg and I and all of you, we're very excited about what God's doing at The Rock, but hey, you know, I got a call from a friend the other day. He knows of a church in four years that went from zero to 8,000. And he's planning on going to it. And you know what that makes me do when I hear? Well, first, I wish I could say it makes me rejoice totally. It does sort of makes me cry. Because I want it. Because I want to know what it is, God, what it is that we need to do differently, that we could do differently, to reach the tens of thousands of people in this city who do not have Christ. And uh, Greg and I are asking ourselves that all the time. Uh, one, of the re- one of the things I've been wondering is uh, maybe I've just been talking too long. So I'm going to shorten my messages. Let's see what happens there. Is that going to be the, the cure-all to everything? No way. It's got to be our faith. It's got to be as we go out there fishing, as we go out there keep reaching out to people, and it gets wearisome and it gets tiresome. 
Do other churches sometimes grow because a whole bunch of Christians migrate to the new exciting thing going on? Yes, I'm not making that up. Statistics show that overwhelmingly church growth in America is happening not because new fish got into the fishbowl, but because the old fish changed bowls. I'm not making that up. I don't mean that as a slight to any Christian. It's the truth. As Randall Neighbor, who this gentleman I was referring to, has stated, we are not an invasive church. There are few churches in America that are invasive, that are invading the culture. That's what we want the rock to be. It's a slow process. It's a tough process, isn't it? Reaching out today in this culture, it's tough. It's difficult. They're not beating a path to our door. Marilyn Manson can show up to town and get more people on a Saturday night than we can get. Breaks my heart. Doesn't make me mad at Marilyn Manson. Just breaks my heart. You know, we got the greatest truth in the world. It's a tough business. But it's a worthy one. So it's very important that you understand, brother and sister, that what's going on here at the Rock is one small thing amongst multitudes of things that God is doing around the world. We don't have a corner on truth, but we have truth. And I do believe that God has given us some unique things, and we're trying to do them in a unique way to minister to young single men and women, and I believe it's working. But we could do it more. And there's more that need to be reached. There are many decisions in life that you have to make and the Bible does not address all of them. The Bible gives us principles for making decisions and upon those principles and our preferences and wise counsel, we make these decisions. And I want to go over a few before we close. Uh, Some I already mentioned, but I'm going to say them again. Whether or not you buy a new car or not, I would never want any of you to ever feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I was at Greg's thing on finances remarks and, well, they talked about the car thing and, and well, yeah, we do. And we'll share with you what we think's good in light of sound financial wisdom. But here, let me just give you another side of it. Right now, there are some auto companies giving zero interest for 60 months. And maybe... You're a guy or gal here that thinks to yourself, you know, Mark, now the way I see it, zero interest, I'm not paying interest. i got to have a car anyway. If I buy a new one and it's got some warranties, that means I'm going to put less into fixing it than you guys who buy the used ones. See? And there's some of you in this room who that's your thought process. You know what? That, I can respect that. I can understand why you think that. The other side is this. When you buy a new car, even if there's not interest, For most of you, well, first of all, for all of you, you have to put full coverage on that automobile. So let's just say that the payment's 100, well, let's just say it's going to be about 225 a month for the options you want. Most of you, that might be low, but we'll we'll just go with, well, hey, now you can get a Ford Ranger for 169 a month. Well, yeah, who's going to drive a Ford Ranger? But, okay, so... Somebody might drive a Ford Ranger. You know, I perfectly, I'm open to you driving a Ford Ranger. But what you don't want to forget is that when you don't own a car outright and you're paying for it, for six years you have to put full coverage insurance on the car. And for most of you, especially males, my son, for example, 
liability on his paid-for Kia is $175 a month. That's just liability. Full coverage. No tickets, no nothing. Problem is, when he's 21, it'll go down about 30 bucks. When he's 25, then it really goes down. Ladies, just in case you were wondering, males really are discriminated against in modern America. We don't talk about it much, but it really hits our pocketbook. My daughter, on the other hand, for liability on her Nissan, I think it's $80 a month. Isn't it, Celeste? $80. Hmm. That's about a $100 difference, isn't it? Hmm. Discrimination. Because you young males are judged by all the rotten males, not by all the good ones. See? So, discrimination comes in many forms. So, so the other side is that, wow, if you get a car you pay for outright and it has good records and, you know, you maybe, you know, then you save $150 a month just put in the bank instead of putting on insurance. I don't know. But you see, you follow what I'm saying? There's both sides of the issue. Many of you aren't like me. I have a mechanic friend who I can pay him about 60, well, like, for example, Ford recently wanted to do $800 on my brakes. And I, and I almost had no choice because the rear brakes had crumbled because the parking brakes stuck on. Wasn't anyone left it on. The cable was rusted, stuck on, and fried them. And they said, it, they said it melted everything. Well, I knew I had driven it there, so I knew I could take a risk and drive it to my friend who looked at it and said, well, no, you only need one new drum, not two. And the $800 work cost me $250. And I paid him 80 to help me. But you may not have a friend like that, you see. So you're thinking, well, yeah, Mark, I'm the guy or the gal to be down at Ford paying $800 on that used car. That's true. That's true. So, I won't keep commenting on the car, but my point is, you do what the Lord leads you to do. And enjoy it. <laughs> you pull up in that new Passat, I'll reach out and touch it. <laughs> Just Think. There is no excuse for not thinking. God gave you a brain. God gave you a web page. God gave you information. He gave you older friends. He gave you counsel. He gave you His Word. He gave you His Holy Spirit. So don't put it on me and Greg. Say, oh, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Well, here's a few things, but this is just up to you. Don't tell me that. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? You guys, look, you know, I've told you this before. If you're not ready to marry the girl, you might want to think twice about whether or not you're really going to start the relationship. I'm going to, I'm going to read this book first, but, but I, I think I can feel safe to recommend it. Um, it's another book recommendation, but it comes highly recommended. It's called Sacred Marriage, and it's by a guy named Gary Taylor. And I want to encourage you to get it because it'll put the fear of God in you in a good way. It's a totally different marriage book that's ever been written. The title, subtitle says, Marriage is not for your happiness, but for your holiness. I couldn't agree more. Marriage was never intended to make you happy. Marriage was intended to make you holy. It's intended to make you holy. Holy makes you happy. Holiness costs you. And that book will contain a lot of things that Greg and I have been trying to tell you. Maybe it'll be help you if you see it from somebody else. Relationships are tough. Sometimes I see some young men and women, they kind of dive in, they're swimming around the pool of the relationship, and then the C word comes up and go, oh, let me backstroke. I don't want to be in here. Commitment. Well, what in the world did you think a relationship was going to be? The two become one. The only way the two become one is if two of you start giving up a lot of your preferences to become one. And it's not always fun. Think. Put on your brain. You're young adults. Are you ready? 
Are you ready for life? You are? We'll try to help you however we can. But, but the responsibility is yours. Um, here's another one. Where you shop for your clothes? We got some banana people in here. We got some Abercrombie people in here. We got some Ragstock people in here. We got some Goodwill people in here. Okay? And we got some people in here that think they're more spiritual because they're saving lots of money buying their clothes, recycling them through the Goodwill than those of you who are buying it a banana. Well, you know what? That's just not right. It's just not right. You see, we're not to look down on our brother and sister because they don't live out our convictions. They don't live out our convictions. Greg does not live out my convictions. I've known Greg since he was your age. And one of the things is, I, I, I've been so encouraged watching Greg as he's grown, is just developing his own convictions. He and Michelle, their convictions about how they believe God wants them to go about life. Really, my only goal, although sometimes I know it probably doesn't seem like this, is to simply give you guidance. Guidance and tools and information whereby you can make solid, biblical, good decisions. And certainly, I'm going to challenge the status quo, so is Greg. But you have to step back and ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And, and life is ever-evolving, you know. When you're young, maybe right now, you can buy your clothes at Banana. Then marriage comes along, then babies come along, and you find out, you know, old Navy will, will do just fine. Besides, the clothes fit me a little better now. I, I don't know what you're going to find. Some of you are going to be the serious, tough-skinned people, you know. Some of you like Kmart. Some of you like Palmitas Center or Sam's Club or Costco or banks. Whether or not you watch TV, I've had some emails from time to time from people who are a little upset that they know some people in a small group are watching TV. You got cable, you got a satellite dish, listen, that's up to you. I mean, honest to God, that's up to you. Now I'd be the first one to tell you that the average American's watching about seven hours a day of television. Your time is the most precious commodity you have, and television robs you of your most precious commodity. But that doesn't mean there isn't a time to sit back, kick back, that lazy boy with some popcorn pop or pizza, whatever favorite food you like, and watch a show or watch a movie or hang out there. That's up to you. Someone's asked me, Mark, do you have cable? No, I don't have cable. Why don't I have cable? Because I like all the old shows, and they're all over cable. And I'm just being honest with you about Mark. Even at 45 almost, I am still tempted to veg out if the television had all those options for me. I mean, I like kicking back, relaxing just as much as anybody. And next thing I'd be going, oh, there's a fight. Oh, God, there's a move. In fact, when I go to motels sometimes, I can't stand one channel. I'm going, uh, uh, every 45 seconds. Oh, oh, look at that cool song. Oh, geez. Oh, back. Oh, but that show. And I watch like six at a time. It would also ruin my marriage because it would drive my wife crazy. So that's another reason why I'm going to have cable. Uh, what you do with your hair? Let's talk hair for a moment. Okay? Hair. And I'm looking at yours. You're looking at mine. I'm looking at yours. You know? Hair is really your business. It's, I mean, it, it's, you know, does the Bible give a few guidelines about hair? Yeah, a few. But let's not take them too far. And let's remember that the emphasis of what God was trying to communicate in Peter to the women is make sure that inner beauty is what you're cultivating. Not just outer beauty and you, you neglect the inner. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. The point is, inner beauty is all that matters. Be as 
whatever you want on the outside, just just leave it. You know, that's not what it's saying. Here's another thing. Let me give you another biblical principle when it comes to clothes. All right, there aren't many biblical principles on this topic, but there is one in Corinthians, and here's what it says. Paul says, "Though I am free from all men, I become the slave of every man, that I might win as many as possible." To the Jew, I become a Jew; to the Roman, a Roman; to the Greek, a Greek, etc., etc. What's the whole point? It's called the chameleon principle. I call it that. It's not called that. I call it that. The chameleon principle means when I'm with the Romans, I blend in with the Romans. I do not take on their sin, blah, blah, blah. But, for example, if you saw where Amy worked and some of the friends that commented after me and my daughter were there that she's trying to win to Christ, and they thought, you know, and I obviously don't look like Amy or her friends that were up there, but I don't also look like an ordinary pastor. I know that. It's like, God, you know, he's, he's a cool guy. And I was his daughter up there. Yeah, and, well, she's a cool girl. This is just a costume. I mean, it's the truth. I'm just at a costume party. I just wear what I wear to try to fit in with the culture where I'm at to build a bridge. Listen, if Almighty God could take on a puny human form, then I guess we could become a worm to reach the worms. Right? We could become a slug to reach a slug. That doesn't mean we're sluggardly. We just might look like it. See, but that doesn't mean it's your character. Are you following what I'm saying? For example, if we were down south, down Amarillo, Texas, I got a feeling we'd all have some cowboy boots, have us a lot of pickup trucks out there, if if F-150 Fords, you know what I'm saying? And uh, some of the girls, they'd all have Wrangler jeans on. If you've never been down south, then you know what I'm talking about. But you get down to Amarillo, Texas, and uh, it's kind of the way it is. Okay? All right. Let me go on a few more here. Uh, see if I have any more. Maybe I don't. We must each do what we are convinced before the Lord we should do. We must each do what we are convinced before the Lord we should do. And that's the key thing I want you to ask yourself is, what are you convinced before the Lord you should do and why are you convinced you should do it <clears throat> you know some of you here in this room you, may, you know you've, you've heard me say comments about the media or the political arena but listen that does not mean that some of you won't get into the media or some of you won't get into the political arena or shouldn't and I'd be glad to Greg and I'd be glad to counsel you or talk through some of these issues but you have to decide what does God want me to do with this decision or with that decision. We embrace diversity. We are not to sit in judgment of one another. Rather, the goal is to stay out of each other's way. Not to put a stumbling block in front of someone else's way. 